Good morning, church family. My name is Kulufelo Kele, and welcome to People's Church, Church at Home service. If you're joining us for the first time this morning, we would like to extend a very warm welcome to you. We would like to connect and to get to know you better. So please fill in our welcome card that you will find in the description box below. We hope that you will feel welcomed this morning. Before we go into the Word of God, I would like to just encourage us with a few verses as we prepare our hearts to give. In Romans 12, verse 6 to 8, it reads as follows. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Paul here is saying each one of us has been given a gift according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to each one of us. So already we know that no one is excluded. We know that each one of us has been uniquely gifted. And the important thing is that you and I need to operate in those gifts that we have been gifted with. Now the question is, if for example, I have been gifted with giving, does that mean I can't encourage? Or if I have been gifted with encouragement, does that mean I can't give? Does that mean I can't show mercy? Does that mean I can't evangelize? And the answer is no. For others, they have been given the gift of encouragement, but we are all to encourage one another. For others, they have been given the gift of teaching, but we are all to teach one another and to teach our children the truths of Scripture. For others, their gift is evangelism, but we are all commanded to share Christ with those that are lost, with those that do not that do not know Christ. And we, we see that very clearly across the scriptures. For others, their gift is to serve or to render service. But we, we all should serve. If, if you're part of the body of Christ, you need to find yourself serving in one way or another. For others, their gift is that of mercy. But we all ought to show mercy to those that are suffering, to those that are around us, the same way that God continues to be merciful to us each and every day. For others, their gift is to give, but we are all required to be generous with what God has entrusted us with. For, our, for others, we are required to be generous with the resources that God has entrusted us with. We do all these things according to the grace that has been given to each one of us. For others, they have to evangelize more. For others, they have to, for others, they have to give more because that's the grace that has been given to them. But each one of us has been tasked to do something. We have been tasked with doing something. So whatever gift that you and I have, we need 
to do it to honor God as his faithful stewards. So as we give today, let us be reminded that there can never be any point where we say that we have nothing to give. The banking details are going to appear on the bottom of the screen. And may you be blessed as you give today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord Jesus. Thank you for each and every person, Lord, that is part of the service today, Heavenly Father. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you bless each and every hand, each and every person that gives, oh, Heavenly Father. I pray, Lord Jesus, even for those that may not be able to give money this morning, Lord Jesus, that you bless them as they give in other realms of their lives, oh, Heavenly Father. Lord Jesus, we just want to pray for the word, Father God, that we are about to listen to just now, oh, Heavenly Father. We pray that you prepare our hearts, oh, Heavenly Father, that we may receive your word, oh, Father God, that it may speak into our lives, Father God, that it may may nurture our spirits, Father God, that it may grow us. Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray that your word may continue to transform us, Father God, day in, day out, oh Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for this time, and we pray, Father God, that your name may continue to be blessed today and forevermore. Amen. And now I'm going to hand over to Pastor Mondli Kele, who's going to be giving us the word of God this morning. Very good morning to you, or a good day, or even a good evening, depending on when you're watching this. Thank you so much for joining us, and as always, such a joy and honor and a privilege to be able to bring God's Word today. So we trust that you are keeping yourself safe and those that are around you from the coronavirus. But not only that, we hope that you are uh, taking care of yourself spiritually and keeping yourself spiritually healthy, even as you take care of your physical health. Because that is very important. We need to make sure that we constantly feed ourselves with the Word of God. That we set aside some sufficient time to worship God privately and even to seek His face through prayer. And so today I'm excited because we are starting a brand new series that is based on the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And yes, you did hear me correctly. We're doing one series that is based on two books of the Bible, but more on that a little bit later. The title of the series is Rise and Rebuild. I believe many of us, if not all of us, are in a season right now where we are rebuilding our lives, rebuilding you know, the aspects, the various aspects of our daily lives that have been impacted, that have been disrupted by the global pandemic. Think about marriages that have been impacted. Think about education. Think about healthcare. Think about jobs, economies of countries that have all been impacted and disrupted. And I believe that now is a time where we need to begin to pick up the pieces of our lives and begin to rebuild our lives. And so I'm looking forward to what God is going to teach us and what God is going to do in and through us as we embark on this journey. And today is more of an introduction uh, of this series. And the title of my message is When God Moves. When God Moves. It is my belief that all good things in your life and in my life, they begin to happen when God begins to move. And so we are going to take a look at the first four verses of the book of Ezra, chapter 1, from verse 1 to 4. And we're basically going to look and, and see what happens when God begins to move. But before we do that, a little bit of a background and maybe a context to the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. 
And so basically, if you cast your mind back uh, to the captivity, to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, and so basically what happened is that the children of Israel, because of their sin and rebellion, they turned their backs against God, and God delivered them to the king Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And he came and he captured uh, Israel. You know, he destroyed the city, Jerusalem. He destroyed the temple of God, and he took the, the children of Israel captive, and he took them all to Babylon, those that did not die in their captivity in any case. And so, and so basically, a period of about 48 years passes. And within that period of 48 years, um, Nebuchadnezzar the king dies. And, you know, his successor uh, basically partakes and sees, you know, the, the nation, which is Babylon, being captured itself and being overpowered and being defeated by the Persians and the Medes. So this should, you know, just bring into your mind, you know, Daniel chapter 5, where, you know, the, the handwriting on the wall, King Belteshazzar, and the judgment on God upon the nation of Babylon. And so Babylon was captured and conquered by now the, the, the Medians and the Persians. And the king uh, who basically took over and started ruling that entire territory is King Cyrus. Cyrus, the king of Persia. And so a great summary of all of these things is actually found in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 36. 2 Chronicles, chapter 36, gives us a very good overview of all this history and the summary of all the things that took place right up until the beginning of Ezra, chapter 1. And so, and so you definitely should go and read that, check that out, and see uh, that, that history. And it's very interesting because the last few verses of, of uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 16 are almost exactly identical to the first few verses of Ezra chapter 1. And so there is that overlap. I think the author is basically giving us a short recap and letting us know that these are the things that took place after the book of Second Chronicles. And so finally, before we go into our text for today, for those that are interested in studying these things deeper and doing a Bible study, you should read Ezra, Ezra and Nehemiah, but you should read them together with Daniel and Esther and also Haggai and Zechariah. So those six books, because all of them take place around the same time, they report about uh, similar things that happened. And so, and so uh, Daniel and Esther took place while the, the nation of Israel was still in captivity in Babylon. And so they take place shortly before Ezra and Nehemiah. And then the books of Haggai and Zechariah, those are the two prophets that were prophesying around the time when the temple was being rebuilt, which is the period of time that is covered by the book of Ezra. So you should read all of those six. They will give you a nice overview and a nice picture of what happens. All right, and now we're going to go into God's Word and get to see when God moves what happens? Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. This is what it says. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. This is the summary. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the, land, the Lord the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, 
Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let, and let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the man uh, of his place with silver and gold, with all goods and with beasts, besides the free will offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Let us just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, Lord God. Your word is truth. Your word is life. Your word is food to our spirit and to our souls. Lord, we pray that indeed you may speak into our hearts, speak into our lives, speak into our situations. We pray, Father God, that you open our ears to hear, to listen, and to receive what you have for us. We pray that you also help us to apply, to put into application whatever we learn from your word in our lives so that our lives may be transformed and that they may be made to conform to the image and to the life of of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray for all this in Jesus' mighty name, so that your name may be glorified now and forevermore. Amen and amen. Very interesting start of this book of Ezra. The book of Ezra basically takes over from the moment of the fall of the, of the kingdom of Babylon, as I've already mentioned. So it begins in the first year of the reign of the new king. And this is the thing that he began to do. And so what we're going to do today is just look at four questions. And the first question surrounding this passage that we have read is what happened. Second is when did it happen? The third question is who did it? And the fourth question is why did they do it? That is what we're going to do. And the great news is that all the answers to all these four questions are contained within that short passage of scripture that we have read together. Are we all ready? Okay, let us go. So the first question, what happened? And so if you are taking notes, write this down. When God moves, the unthinkable happens. When God moves, the unthinkable happens. That is exactly what happened in this passage of scripture. The very first year of, the, of, of King Cyrus, the king of Persia, you know, we are told that something that was unthinkable, something that doesn't even make sense to the natural mind began to take place. And so basically, as I've already given you the short synopsis or the summary of the things that happened uh, from the captivity, that the nation of Israel was taken as slaves to Babylon by the hand of the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and basically, this was God's punishment on the nation because they had turned their backs on him and they had began to do wrong things and began to do and to live as the other nations that were around them were living. And we are told that, you know, uh, that uh, Babylon was also conquered, was captured by the Persians and the Medes. And God stirred up the spirit of Cyrus uh, that he did one of the most bizarre things for a person who was in his position in those days to do. We are told that Cyrus, the king of Persia, made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, throughout all of his territory, and also put it in writing. And basically, these are the things that he put on that proclamation. It says, the God of heaven has charged me with the building of his house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Secondly, therefore, any one of his people who desires to go back home and rebuild God's temple, God's house in Jerusalem, that person is free to do so. Just imagine, you're, you are in captivity, you are a slave, you are oppressed because you are conquered, you are, you are a conquered minority in a foreign land. And another king, you know, now conquers the king who conquers 
offered you. And he says that you are now free to go. If you want to go back and rebuild your life, you want to go back home and rebuild the, the, the temple of God, of your God, you know, the God that they do not serve themselves, temple of your God, you are absolutely free to do so. But it doesn't end there. You know, we are told that he, he even goes a step further. He says, let each of the survivors be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with good things, with goods and beasts, you know, besides all the free will offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Let the people that are around you, let the people even of the nation that has conquered you, let them support you. Let them give of their own money. Let them give gold. Let them give you silver so that you may be able to go back and rebuild the temple of your God. This is something that was completely unthinkable. I do not think there is anyone who saw this coming. Other than a person, obviously, was told by God that this is what he was going to do. This is unthinkable. This is something that does not happen, you know, on any other day. And so this was a pagan king. This was a king who did not even worship the same God that the Jews worshipped. And, you know, he didn't even have anything to do with the Jews other than the fact that they were now under his authority. They were now his, his subjects. And the only way that this thing would have been possible, the only way that this would have happened was if God did something supernaturally, was if God intervened and performed a complete miracle. There was no other way that something like this could have happened. And that's exactly what God did. Because when God moves, he makes the impossible possible. When God moves, he makes the impossible to be possible. So Cyrus did two things that are really commendable, two things that are really good for him to have done. The first thing was to recognize that there was one true God, that there is no other God. There is only one true God, and he is the God of the universe, the God of heaven, as we see in the, open, in the opening of his proclamation. And you and I first need to realize that back in those days, people didn't have the understanding that, you know, there is one God. People had an understanding that there's many gods. There was something that was called a localized understanding of gods, where a person understood that if you were in a specific geographic location, then there is a specific God who is uh, uh, taking care of that uh, specific uh, geographical location or that area, and that gods were confined to those geographical locations. There was a God of Israel. There was a God of the Philistines. There was gods of, you know, uh, the, the, the Assyrians, the, the Persians, and the Medes. That's how they operated. That's how they understood gods back in those days. And Cyrus recognizes in that moment that there is actually no other God other than the one true God, the God of Israel. He is the God of heaven. He is the God of the universe. He is the one who created all things, who created the heavens and the earth. He is the one who is the one true God. That is the first thing that he did. And the second thing that he did is that was to recognize that it was God who has given into his hands all the kingdoms of the world. It was God who has given him dominion over all the kingdoms of the, of the world. He understood that everything fundamentally belongs to God because God is the one true God. God is the one who created all these things. And so everything belongs to God. And God can give to anyone anything he wants as he pleases. And that God in this instance had given Cyrus 
says, the dominion of all the kingdoms of the earth. And so that's the first thing that he did. And we also need to realize this important lesson that you and I are in a very dangerous place once we begin to believe that everything we have is a result of our strength, is a result of our power, is a result of our own intelligence. We are on a slippery slope once we get to that place where we are convinced that everything we have is because of our own strength, our own power, our own attempts, and our own ingenuity. This is what he recognized. He recognized that God is the one who owns all things, and he gives to each person as he see fit. And everything in all creation belongs to God, and he's the one who blesses us. He's the one who gives to us. And this does not, this does not mean, actually, that we don't need to work hard. It doesn't mean that we don't need to make smart choices in our lives. But what it means is that after all is said and done, after we've done all we needed to do, that we still need to give all the glory to God because it is He who has given us the strength, the talent, and the ability to be able to do what we have been able to do in our lives. James chapter 4, verse 6, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God is not pleased with the person who elevates himself, who prides himself in his own achievements, but he is pleased with the person who humbles himself and recognizes that everything they have is as a gift, is as a grace, is because of God's grace unto them, is because God has allowed them to have these things. That's the first question, what happened? Second question, and I basically combine the second and the third, who did it and when did they do it? Who did it and when? And so basically our text begins with a phrase that in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, and so we know that Cyrus, you know, was a Persian king who basically conquered uh, Babylon in the year 539 BC. Around there, he's the one who conquered Babylon, which was actually to fulfill Jeremiah's prophecy that Babylon would be judged by God. We get this prophecy actually in Jeremiah chapter, chapter 51. Verse 11, and basically the entire chapter, God, uh, uh, Jeremiah is prophesying about the destruction, about the downfall of Babylon as a, as a result of God's judgment upon them. Jeremiah chapter 51 verse 11 says this, it says, sharpen the arrows, take up the, the shields. The Lord has stirred up the spirit of the kings of the Medes because his purposes, his purpose concerning Babylon is to destroy it. For that is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance for his temple. Basically, this was a prophecy way before these things had ever taken place, that at some point in the future, God is going to bring about his judgment on the, on the nation of Babylon because of their own pride, because of their own sins and their own rebellion. He is going to judge them also as vengeance of what they did to his temple in Jerusalem when they destroyed it when they burned it with fire. Isaiah the prophet also prophesied about this 150 years prior. And this is what he said in Isaiah 44 verse 28. He says, I say about Cyrus, he is my shepherd. He will accomplish everything that I want him to. He will say about Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt. And he will say about the temple, let its foundations be laid. Think about this for a moment. 150 years before these events take place, 
God gives prophecy through the mouth of Isaiah to say that, you know, he's so specific and so accurate down to the very name of the king that Cyrus is the one that he is going to raise up. He is the one who is going to allow for Jerusalem to be rebuilt and for the temple, for its foundations to be built again. Think about that for a moment, you know, that that God was able to accurately predict these things down to the tiniest detail, you know. And basically all of this boils down to this realization and this reality that there is nothing that can stop God from fulfilling his word upon your life and upon my life. There is no situation or person that is powerful enough to frustrate God's plan and prevail. There is not even a global pandemic that will ever be able to do it. Not even adverse market conditions will ever be able to do it. There is nothing that can stand in the way of God's plans over your life and over my life. Because God is the only one who is sovereign, who is above all things, who can do as he pleases. In Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, we read this very encouraging verse, especially in these times that we are living in. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, it says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said it, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Take courage right now that even in the moments that we are living in, that if God once said it, that he will definitely bring it to pass. He shall definitely perform it. And right now, everything may not look that way. Everything may look as if, you know, the word that he's spoken to you will never come true, will never come to pass. And the enemy wants to convince you of the fact that God has forgotten about you, that God doesn't care about what you are going through right now. You may even have lost all hope that God is still able to do it. But I am here to remind you that there is nothing too difficult for the Lord our God. Take courage and believe that if he said it, he shall definitely perform it. He shall surely do it. And in Proverbs chapter 3, Verse 5 to 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. This is what we need to do, even as we go through difficult times, even as we go through uncertain moments in our lives, even as the nation of Israel did, as they were living in captivity, uh, in exile for those years. This is what we need to do, is to trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, is to patiently wait for him to bring to pass everything that he said he is going to do and to acknowledge him in all of our ways and he will make us make straight our paths. And the last question that we need to answer today is why did they do it? Why did he do it? Why did Cyrus did what he did? This, uh, for me, you know, this, this phrase that we find right there in the first verse, is really encouraging. In fact, I even wanted to title this message according to this phrase. And so basically what it says, it says, so that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. So that the the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah the prophet might be fulfilled. This is the reason that God did what he did. This is the reason that God began to move. This is the reason that he touched Cyrus and stirred up his spirit. And he came up with this proclamation 
nation, to set free, to set all the captives free, you know, to set the nation of Israel free, to go back home, to rebuild the temple, to do this amazing thing that was unthinkable, to do this amazing thing that was not even possible naturally. This is the reason that God did it so that his word that he had spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Listen, God will always perform his word. God will always keep his promises that he has made to you. And so we need to, be, to take courage in that. We need to persevere. We need to continue to believe God and to believe that when the time comes, when the time is right, that he shall surely do it. And in Jeremiah uh, chapter 25, 11 to 12, this is the prophecy that God had given to Jeremiah. This is the word that God had given through the mouth of Jeremiah that now God is fulfilling. And he says, Jeremiah 25 verse 11 to 12, it says, this whole land, so this is Jeremiah still speaking to the Israelites before the captivity. He says, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. And, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And, one, and then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. This is the word that God is now bringing to pass. This is the word. This is the reason that God is moving. It is to fulfill this word that he has spoken. And I'm thinking that the exiles, while they were there in captivity in Babylon, and they had started thinking that God had forgotten about his promises that he had made concerning them, that God does not care. God has forgotten them. God is busy with other things. God has moved on from, from, from them, you know, to maybe other nations that there was no way that they were ever going to be able to see their native land again. It was impossible for, for them to be able to go back. And think about it. Some of the people had even died while in exile. Some people were born in exile that had never even seen the their ancestral land that had never seen Israel, that had never lived there. They were born in captivity, and the situation was looking very bleak at that particular moment. And you may also be finding yourself in a situation that is similar to that right now. You may have convinced yourself that this is it, that my life will never amount to much, that there's nothing that will ever be able to come out of my life but believe God, believe his word that he has spoken over you. Believe that he is able to surely bring it to pass. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter also encourages us. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 to 10. And he says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises as some count slowness. You and I need to realize that God is not slow in keeping his promises that he made towards you. He's not slow in keeping his word that he spoke over your life. And he continues. And he says, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any of you should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and, the, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Some people are saying, you know, the Lord is delaying, that God will never come back again. You know, we are busy saying as Christians that he is coming soon, he is coming soon. We have been saying he's coming soon for 2,000 years. Some people are saying he's never coming back. Some people are saying he has already come back. But this is the truth of Scripture, that God is not slow in keeping his promise, but he is patient towards us. 
He's waiting for each and every person to come into repentance because he wants each and every person to come into his kingdom, each and every person to be saved from the coming wrath that is coming upon that day of the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns again. The reason that Lord, that the Lord is delaying is because he's being patient with us. But make no mistake, the Lord will always fulfill the words that he has spoken concerning himself and concerning us. And so for those that are writing, that are taking notes, this is the last thing that you can write down, that when God moves, it is not necessarily about you. When God moves, it is not necessarily about you. And that is so many times the case in our lives as it was the case even in the scripture when God began to move supernaturally. He made the impossible possible and it was for the reason of fulfilling the word that he had spoken concerning the nations. It was to fulfill the word that he had spoken through Jeremiah the prophet. And so, what about you? What has God said to you? What has God promised you? What has God spoken over your life? You know, it's very interesting that we as human, how easily it is for us to forget. We forget easily. You know, at the first sign of adversity, at the first sign of difficulty, we forget all about God's promises. You know, we even convince ourselves, hey, maybe it wasn't God who spoke. I don't know. Maybe I didn't hear right. But what God said is not what is happening now. Then therefore there's, therefore there's something wrong, you know, with what I heard or with the voice that I heard. We convince ourselves that maybe it wasn't God. Maybe it was something else. Maybe it was a coincidence. At the first sign of trouble, we forget all about God's promises. And this is the thing that we even convince ourselves of, that opposition in our lives is a sign that God is not with us. You know, opposition in our lives is the sign that God did not speak because we think if God surely has spoken into our lives, then everything is going to be smooth sailing. But the reality is not that. The reality is that most often than not, opposition is actually a sign that God has spoken, that God is with you, that God God is using you, that God is opening doors to do something that he had promised to do in your life. So we need to take courage. We need to persevere. We need to go through the difficult times and the times of adversity because God is surely with us and he shall surely perform what he has promised to speak or, or to do in our lives. And lastly, what you probably need to do is to go back to God. Ask him to speak again. Ask him to remind us what he has said, his promises over our lives. Ask him to speak and to remind us because life has happened, we have forgotten, but ask him to remind us and write it down so that we may not forget. You know, put it in a place where we'll always uh, look upon it, we'll always remind ourselves of these things. You know, in Luke chapter 2 verse 19, something very interesting interesting is said about Mary, just a small little detail, like a passing comment is said about Mary, the mother of Jesus. So there are these promises that are spoken concerning the child that she's going to give birth to. You know, there are all these grand things that are said. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 19, it says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, pondering them, thinking about them, stewing on these things in her heart. This is what you and I need to do. Even when the going gets tough, we need to ponder these things. We need to remind ourselves of what God has spoken. You know, we need to look upon what God's promises upon our lives. We need to think about these things because the truth of the matter is that if God has said it, then nothing will ever come in the way of God fulfilling what God has said. He shall 
must surely perform it regardless of what happens in our lives, regardless of what we go through, regardless of what we find ourselves in. And so as we are embarking on this journey, which is beginning today, and it's going to last for the next couple of weeks, I hope that, that you know, your hope will, will be resurrected. For some of us, we are not even hopeful right now because of the bleakness of the situation. I hope God will be able to resurrect that hope within us, that God is still able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything that we can think, ask, or even comprehend that God is able, that nothing is difficult for the Lord our God, that God is sovereign. He is the all-powerful creator of all things, that there's nothing that he cannot do, that if he has spoken in our lives, that he will surely perform it. I hope that God is going to continue to do his work in us, you know, and help us to be able to rise and to rebuild, rebuild our lives, rebuild our communities, rebuild our families, rebuild, you know, our careers, rebuild the world, you know, rebuild our societies. Because right now is the time for us to rise, to pick up the pieces and to begin to rebuild and to repair. And you may be here today and you're saying you don't even understand what I'm talking about when I'm talking about God, you know, speaking over your life because you don't even know this God. You don't have a relationship with this God. You are not in right standing with this God. And maybe if you are here and you are saying you would like to give your life to Christ, you have never done this before. You do not have a relationship with God through the person and the finished work of Jesus. What you need to do is to place your faith upon what Jesus has already done for you. You do not need, you know, to sacrifice your life all over again. You do not need to jump through hoops. You do not need to tick boxes. The one thing that you need to do is to repent of the sins and the lifestyle that you have been living and to believe, which means to place your faith upon Jesus, to live from this moment onwards according to his word, according to what he wants you to do through the scriptures. And the good news, honestly, of the scriptures, the good news of the gospel is that there's nothing much that you still need to do, that most of it has already been done for you through Jesus Christ, that when Jesus died upon the cross, that he was not dying for his sins, but he was dying for your sins. As the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 16, that for God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him may not perish, but may have everlasting life. This is what God wants for you. He wants you to have life that is truly life. Life that is full, that is abundant. Life that is everlasting. And he wants you to have it. And, and for you to be able to understand just how much he wants you to have it, he gave his one and only son, his best, the one whom he loved, so that you may not die, but that you may come into a living relationship uh, with him, you know, and have and inherit this eternal life. And for you to be able to inherit this eternal life, the only thing you need to do is to come to God in prayer and acknowledge that you are a sinner. Acknowledge that you have lived life according to your own ways, how you wanted to live. You have done what you have wanted to do. And everything that you have done is contrary to his word. You, you are the one who is wrong. Acknowledge, you know, that you have sinned in, in front and in the presence of God and ask for his forgiveness and, and accept what Jesus has done on your behalf as he died upon that cross, as he gave his life for your life 
and he was resurrected again for your salvation and for the forgiveness of our sins. And the, and the scriptures assure us that once you do that, once you accept Jesus into your life as Lord and Savior of your life, once you confess your sins and once you uh, ask for that forgiveness, the scriptures assure us that he, God, makes you a new creation. He makes you a child of God, a son or a daughter of the Most High. And so I hope that you do not delay this decision, that you do not put it off for another moment, that you do it today because you do not, you do not know what's going to happen in the future. This is the moment that you have and God has given you this opportunity and is extending his invitation that you may become his child. Let us pray and conclude. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy and your grace, Lord. Thank you that indeed you are a good God and a loving Father. Thank you that you are sovereign over all things, all of creation, Lord. That there's nothing that you cannot do. That even in these moments, Father God, moments of deep darkness, moments of confusion, moments, Lord God, of despair, that we can still have hope and believe in our hearts. That even right now you are still able to fulfill your promises that you have spoken over our lives. We thank you, Lord God, that you are a God who never breaks his promises. That you are a promise-keeping God. Father God, that we can, we can have confidence upon your word. That what you have spoken in our lives, you are surely going to do. Pray for each and every person who is turning to you for the first time. That you may make them new, as your scripture says, Lord. That you may fill them with your Holy Spirit. And that you may surround them with people that are going to help them to grow and to navigate this journey that is just beginning in their lives. I thank you, Lord God. I give you all the honor and all the glory in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Pastor Monji, for that encouraging word. We hope that each and every person is excited for the next few weeks as we unpack the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And also, please note that our in-person church services are on hold for now. We will communicate with further information. And for new people that have joined us today, remember, we would like to get to know you and connect with you better. So please fill in our welcome cards that you will find in the description box below. And each and every one, please keep safe, keep well, and enjoy the rest of the week. See you next Sunday. Hi, my name is Monty Klein, and together with my wife, we pastor People's Church. I'm so glad that you chose to join us online today. And I pray that God uses this resource to make you more and more like his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's important to note that these kinds of resources are never meant to replace the need for you to belong to a local church congregation where you are led and shepherded, a place where you can use your gifts and your resources to make a positive impact on the lives of the people around you. This is only meant to supplement and not substitute that. And lastly, I would like to ask you, if these resources have been of benefit to you, would you kindly consider giving to People's Church? This is so that we can continue to invest in technologies that help us and enable us to increase our reach and spread the message of Jesus Christ even wider and to even more people. For ways to do that, you can go to our website and click on the Giving tab and you'll see ways to be able to give. Now once again, thank you so much for joining us today. Take care and God bless you.